0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app
1: today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
0: Welcome to the uh, Al Franken podcast, and we got a great one uh, today for a change. Walter Mondale, Vice President Walter Mondale, uh, is my guest here, and we're recording in his office. He works at the uh, at a law firm here in Minneapolis, and uh, so we're doing that. So you may hear interruptions. He uh, is is just beloved here in Minnesota, and for a reason. He is ninety one years old now and has uh, served the state. He served the state for a really long time, and this country. He was in the Senate at a time when it was. Working better than it does now. Let's let's just put it that way a lot of it. I think has to do with What happened during the period that he was there and Specifically the civil rights bill before the civil rights bill We had a Democratic Party that was liberal and progressive and conservative and the Republican Party was conservative and then it had these Northeastern Republicans who were liberal and progressive. So what happened to get anything done, you had to work across party lines. And that doesn't happen now. And uh, that is a shame. So when, when Fritz Mondale was there, he got stuff done. He got a equal housing bill done, civil rights bill and of course, uh, Vice President of the United States. He really created the modern Vice Presidency. Uh, Until then, really, the the Vice President was just there in case the President died. And uh, Presidents used to die pretty often. So you had that. I believe he was the first Vice President to have his office in the White House uh, in the West Wing, near the Oval Office, by the Oval Office, and not in the executive office building across the street, and really invented he and Carter worked together. Uh, they did not fire a shot during their four years. So, I hope you enjoy this. I, I love and admire uh, the Vice President we will be after this musical interlude. Be right back. You're 91 now? That's the last I heard. You know, I was thinking run for president. Yes. And it'll just make the other
2: guys look younger. Well, yes, but 91's not too old to run, is it? Uh, how old was Adenauer when he retired? 90.
0: Ninety. But,
2: but I, I think he was 90, but he was he was older.
0: Odenauer was the chancellor yes. of Germany for yes. years yes. and yes. Uh, uh, was uh, was close to 90. It all depends yes. how you're doing when you're 90, isn't it?
2: I have the opinion that maybe it's a little old. Now, uh, you teach
0: the presidency and the law. And the Constitution. And yes. the Constitution. Uh, at, at the Humphrey School. At yeah. the Humphrey School. Let me ask you something, because it came up. Can the president order companies to leave a country like China? I
2: don't don't think so. We're a free society. People are free to do what they want, say what they want, unless they collide with the law. And I don't know. uh, He's citing some law that doesn't seem to fit at all about extremism or terrorism and when that can be uh stopped but no i don't think i don't think he's t- making sense here at all i don't
0: think so either and it's not unusual
2: no he does it every day yeah and it's hard to keep track of i used to think that i could but you can't <laughs> every every day is different uh last couple of days he's both said we got to go easier on the China trade thing, and then said, oh, no, he's going to be tougher, all within 24 hours. So be my guest.
0: Yeah, he, he increased the tariffs, gets to the G7, says, someone asked him, do you have regrets? He said, of course I have regrets. I have regrets all the time. And he says, I, I, I'm going to lower them. And then the, um, his team <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Says no, no, he didn't mean that and mm-hmm. then they said he means he's going to raise them and then yeah, he said he's going to raise them they got <laughs> the message to him. I think a lot of Americans have this experience which is you try to collect or remember so that you can organize them all the unbelievably horrible things he's done. Yep.
2: Yep. yep.
0: And you can't.
2: You and know, I think he, that's part he, of his defense. He he lies all the time. It doesn't seem to bother him. He lies several times a day. He, he has this thing about dividing people, splitting the country up, getting people fighting. That seems to be what he wants to do every day. And uh, he's getting it done. And <laughs> we're all paying a price for it. He's over there in Europe stomping around. You know, those are important meetings. This is where an American leader and all former presidents since that institution was created saw it as a time to try to bring the Western world together and, and demonstrate the United States' ability to listen and work with others. Uh, he has none of that in him, as far as I can see.
0: You two are very different. (laughs) I hope so. I think you're the opposite. Okay, the opposite of black is white. The opposite of Trump, I mean, is there such a thing? But if there is, it's kind of you. You uh, have always worked to bring people together. You've stood for things like civil rights and I want to talk about the Civil Rights Bill and Hubert Humphrey and your work yeah. with with him and with Lyndon Johnson on that bill and bills that followed, like on housing and, and such. I was thinking about the 1964 Civil Rights Bill as a demarcation in our country's politics. Because before that, the South had been democratic. Yep since the civil war and once the civil rights bill happened and we got the southern strategy and we got it became republican that's right took a while but now it's just didn't take very long no (laughs) no it didn't and you were there then so i want to ask you about how long it took and how quickly you thought things changed. Because before it, you had very conservative Democrats in the South. You had Richard Russell. You had... Yes. And you had very liberal Republicans in the Northeast. That's right. You had Jacob Javits and...
2: We had several of those moderates in uh, Northeastern United States Republicans that, that we worked with on almost everything. Including civil rights.
0: So, pretty much, things got done because you had to work in a bipartisan way, just
2: because of the structure of the two parties. And then we had the votes when issues came up. Uh, In those days, you had to get 67 votes to close off. That's right, they changed the number. 67, so it's almost... They set the rule up so it would be impossible. And we got enough senators, Republicans and Democrats, to... Right over those rules and um it was a great time in i think america's history and i loved it of course because there had been one way or another 200 years of paralysis on civil rights and suddenly the dam broke and we charted a new course for our country and i i think we've been better off as a nation ever since not perfect for sure but Progress.
0: Oh, there's no question. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's almost silly to question that. I, I, yeah. I was born 1951. I i grew up in St. Louis Park. Yep. Uh, middle class. Dad was a printing salesman. Dad yep. didn't graduate in high school. I was the luckiest kid in the world.
2: Yep. Happy guy, weren't you? Good I was days. very happy.
0: Yep. Our school system, St. Louis Park school system. One of the best in the state, or yeah. maybe the best. And I just knew I could do anything. And this is post-World War II. Yeah. Who said this? Uh, Rick Nolan, I think. Yeah. He said that uh, you had to have a plan to fail mm-hmm. in post-World War II. If you're white, if you're white, Mm-hmm. And because of the civil rights bill, and because of the progress since then, that's less
2: true. Yeah. We 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 um put aside maybe the most disgraceful element in American life, and that is that we were willing to put blacks and minorities down, we were willing to put women in in secondary roles uh we're, we're willing to let the white males stride around uninterrupted in any way being a white male, I know what, what that's like, but um that's terrible huh well yeah <laughs> well you know that's what you get used to when you're a kid you're, yeah. you yeah know, it goes your way, but that's not the way it should be in america we got we should be using everybody listening to everybody. Male, female, minority, whites, to shape our policies and, and bring us together and get things done.
0: It's, it's actually... Now we can
2: do that. We haven't done it yet as much as we should, but we can. Do
0: we it. certainly haven't done it yet. There's certainly... The disparities actually are getting wider and wider because uh, uh, people at the very top are getting wealthier. The rest of America is not progressing, and the people at the bottom, it's in many ways getting worse.
3: And the legacy
0: of slavery did not go away in 1865, and and it continued. I I think
2: think that's right, but this uh, phenomenon of millions of Americans slipping who had been middle-class Americans has been a phenomenon of the last 20 years, We've had it before in American life, terrible thing where people of wealth and influence squeeze everybody out of the mainstream of American life. And that, that's what we've been having, I think.
0: Yeah, and we had that uh, last part of the 19th century, and mm-hmm. we're seeing it now, talking about 1964 and the civil rights bill and then the Republican party just becoming the conservative party and, uh, are becoming a progressive party and man, they, there's no working together. And we have a president who is doing everything he can to double down every chance he can to divide people. And I guess that's his strategy. That's how he won last time. And that uh, must be his strategy again, because I well, don't see I mean, any It must
2: change. be, but I don't get it. I mean, he, uh, if he wanted to be a, a successful public leader, he would do just the opposite. He'd try to pull us together. He's it depends
0: what it. you consider success,
2: I yep. guess. Well, I will never accept his model as either being successful or worthy of success or uh, never should be attributed or accepted as uh, morally acceptable. I don't think it is. No.
0: Well, I mean, it obviously is by yeah. people who vote for him. And people say, oh, he's just, they all lie. All people in public life lie, all politicians. And he's at least being honest about lying. I ran into a
2: guy the other day say, "Well, at least he's doing what he promised. I said, wow. I said that's exactly what he's not doing. Yeah, in the campaign he's forgotten all those promises. He was going to help
0: working people that's what he was all the focus was, and that's why he he won Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. Michigan and yeah. Wisconsin.
2: He thought, here's the guy that'll do it. Yep.
0: and all the people in Washington are self-serving and they're just uh it's all rigged that was that was what we heard in that it's rigged it's rigged it's rigged you're
2: gonna drain the swamp yeah
0: drain the swamp and what we have is what we have
2: is the swamp
0: is is just creatures that we've never seen before doing things that you want to avert your eyes to what they're doing yep and i'm not this isn't about sex no, nope. It's about stealing. <laughs> it's,
2: it's, it's, about about, it's about hurting people. It's about gross immorality. In our society, people that work and try surely are owed respect and they're owed a chance to be a part of middle-class America. He's taken that from them. And I don't know what he thinks he's doing, uh, but I am appalled by it.
0: The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, Get up to sixty percent off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel slash franken. Get up to sixty percent off at babbel.com slash franken spelled B A B B E L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, we saw this huge tax cut. Mm-hmm. Very antithetical to his goals, his stated goals. Announced
2: goals, yeah. Announced, yeah.
0: And uh, that's but right. He, he
2: knew what he was doing. This was typical right-wing Republican payoff to the rich. Exactly. We've seen that before. And,
0: and now what we are seeing are these enormous deficits. Yep. And We're
2: talking about a trillion dollars next year. That's right. Get that, a trillion dollars.
0: Just the deficit next yes. year.
2: So this society is going to be paying off debt for eons.
0: You know how my Republican colleagues, whenever, when Obama was president, they would all, and you had a piece of legislation, it would always go, what's the pay for?
2: We've heard nothing but debt scares when Democrats want to do something. And along came this massive, Tax cut bill that you you've talked about, where all the money goes to the rich, and the Republicans didn't say a thing. They didn't criticize it, didn't talk about deficit scares. If they did, they said, "Well, this will pay for itself, so you don't have to worry." Oh about yeah,
0: it. when they addressed it, it was all dynamic the, scoring.
2: Yep, and in fact, we've been through this several times. It never pays for itself.
0: Well, they always use dynamic scoring. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's and right. dynamic scoring is this magical thing where if you cut taxes it'll increase economic activity and what happened was these corporations bought back their stocks.
2: That's right. Their mm-hmm. stock. Mm-hmm. So and did well by themselves for themselves. Right. You're a history you're, you study
0: history. Is there a Another president we can point to. I don't know all what forty-five no, presidents. No, no. I mean is we've
2: it, never never had a president. Now, maybe you go back a hundred years or more. I'm I'm younger than a hundred years old. Slightly. I, yes. We've always um believed our public leaders should be honest and law abiding and Well, I mean, some weren't.
0: Nixon wasn't. Harding wasn't.
2: Yeah, and Nixon got in real trouble because of that.
0: Well, he he had to leave.
2: Nixon had good people around him. He had some really able people like Jim Baker and so on. This guy has nobody. He doesn't talk to anybody as far as I can see.
0: No, I mean, I don't want to sing Nixon's praises. No. But he seemed to uh, be serious about foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And and was a disaster in what he did in Vietnam. And that's I think that Humphrey agreed would have uh done it very differently. Yeah. You well, saw oh, that very closely, didn't oh, you? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Humphrey would have gone at it far differently.
0: And so he got this this nomination in 64 to be vice president you had to handle the Mississippi Freedom Caucus or delegation. Um, and that must have been a lot of pressure on you. Just Why don't, why don't we set that up? Because that was a... I'd
2: like to talk about that because yeah. it's um, the, one of the things in my long career that uh, I find is subject to uh, criticism and maybe properly so. But we were trying to get through that convention elect Johnson and Humphrey so that we could move forward on civil rights. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party uh, were made of fine people, but they wanted everything solved right now with no regard for the broader picture. We won, we, we controlled that convention, and then we delivered on what we promised to do. And when the next convention came around, all these Freedom Democrats were sitting in the front row as Democratic Party delegates. Just to frame it for people. Including Fannie Lou Hamer. And so I think, I think if you give us just a few years to work it out, I think we look pretty good.
0: Just to frame it, in 1964, um, basically the Mississippi... Democratic Party didn't allow blacks to vote
2: in the delegation was, process. It right? was it was uh, the Democratic Party of Mississippi uh, was devoted to being against civil rights. They had didn't have a single a black delegate in amongst the whites. Most of them wouldn't say they'll vote for the Democratic. Candidate. And they didn't. Carter. One of the reasons Carter became gained stature and could become president was how he uh managed to defeat wallace in florida in in the previous four years wallace he did everything he could to cripple the democratic party but uh jimmy carter challenged him in florida in the next primaries and beat him big time so that people felt good about that i did
0: and carter was the New South,
2: yeah,
0: emblematic of the New South. well, let's talk about your relationship with uh, with Jimmy Carter. You really the two of you took two to do this, invented the modern vice presidency mm-hmm. and some modern vice presidents haven't participated in that. I think of Dan Quayle yeah. probably was not uh, George H. w Bush's Closest advisor. No.
2: But I, I think that um, uh, after Carter broke the, the tradition there of just using vice president as standby equipment and instead bringing him in to the complete work of the president himself, locating the vice president in the president's office... That that changed things, not just for us, but here we are fifty years later, and that's still what's happening. I mean, not
0: this, not now. I don't think that. Uh, well, Trump is an anomaly in so many ways, but <laughs> yeah. the idea that he is conferring with Pence is ridiculous.
2: Right. Well, here, here's the thing: Pence is, is in the White House. What he's doing there, I don't know. Um, <laughs> they, they, some of I keep telling them not to just stand behind the president. Go out and do your own thing and help the president, but don't just think that you've got a chore there to be, standing at attention when your president talks. Look at this guy. That's all he does. He walks up behind the president, stands his at attention. The president gives these... There's
0: a creepiness well, yeah, to all of it.
2: Yeah, what... What's he thinking? What's he doing?
0: And he contributes to the creepiness, I would say. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Quayle was creepy in his own way, but Trump is creepy in a way where the anxiety level in the country it has been raised because of this president. Right. And it's not irrational from people. This is people looking at this guy and taking him seriously. Remember, I think Republicans said, don't take them literally, take them seriously. What we're taking seriously is this guy is, um, you know, they, there are people who diagnose. I don't believe diagnosing people for, uh, that you haven't actually talked to and examined.
2: Yeah, I, don't, I, I hear accepted that. Accepted
0: practice. Yeah. But Jesus, there's something wrong with him.
2: Let me say right away, I do not know. I'm not saying there is anything. But he he, he is uh, breaking all the rules. He doesn't ever um, ponder about what he said two minutes before. He started this whole tweet stuff that is new to him. Just think, running our country... Maybe from his bedroom or from a radio room? For you can tweet from anywhere. Huh? Yeah.
0: If it's, you got a signal, if you've got...
2: Yeah. I, I just don't understand. <laughs> the public doesn't like
0: it. I, I think on the one hand, you can say that it's not fair to diagnose someone if you haven't talked to them and are a psychiatrist. But people also know what they see.
2: Mhm
0: And you know, after the massacres in uh, Dayton and El Paso, the President gave a speech. He did this speech as it, it to me, it was as if it was the first time he had read it. Could be true. This is a moment where the President fulfills a role or should fulfill a role that no one else in the country can fill. When there is a tragedy like a massacre, which we see too many times, I felt like he, he has a special obligation to speak to the nation. He's the one person who can speak to the nation and make us at least feel like we're a nation that is grieving for all these people and in in, in a way that just reassures people that we're good and, and that, that we intend to do good we're going to try to do good and and that we are human that we care we have compassion we have we grieve yes yes we grieve And I saw this speech, and he, it was like his head was on a swivel. Remember, he used to criticize Obama for using a teleprompter, of course. And now he uses it all the time. Uh, And he, it was just, you know, I'll go to the left teleprompter for this, then I'll turn to the right, and I'll just say these words. And someone wrote the words and I'm I don't remember any of the words, but what I do remember was his affect. And to me, you know, if I were to give him advice, it would be read the speech beforehand several times, absorb it. Rewrite it yourself. So they're your words, some of them.
2: Well, that makes a lot of sense, but I don't, well, I I may be wrong, but I don't think he takes advice.
0: No. But is there a difference between taking advice and taking help? I mean, when when he, the State of the Union address is not written by Donald Trump. No. I mean, that's clear. So he needs help there. He obviously doesn't need help to go in front of, 15 20,000 people and talk off the top of his head for an hour or an hour and a half and that's a, that's a, a a skill and that is a skill that got him elected president
2: that's right and and although he says uh outrageous things he's good at it yep he uh raises the, these audiences he gets them excited he he pumps them up they he, laugh at his yeah, jokes yep he's like a comedian
0: who goes in front of a crowd and works them and he and he listens and he finds out what hits what yeah. works and he uses it and he uses it so yeah. so i'm going to build a wall and mexico's going to pay for it was man so that he, was that was i am going to put that in what the first time he did it so he kept doing it yep and so we shut the government down because that, that, that bit went over, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: that hunk. Yeah, that's true.
3: This podcast is supported by FedEx. see what fedex can do for your business absolutely positively fedex
0: i called you his opposite but in a way there's some similarities you grew up very wealthy right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true yeah yeah and uh, five cents and and then and then took advantage of that wealth by uh cheating on the inheritance of it
2: yeah well, if I could just uh, <laughs> emphasize the point you made. I grew up in Ceylon and then Elmore, Minnesota. These are small towns. I mean, really small, basically farm communities. Uh, and I went through high school in Elmore, and, and I loved it. We we did. We were kids We were in small towns, perfect. And I, I, I'm really glad I grew up there. And then we, we were encouraged by our families to not just... Now your
0: dad is a minister, right? He's
2: a minister. And he had a vision that he should go out and be a minister. And, and he went around, uh, the Lutherans wouldn't have him because he didn't have the right credentials, didn't have any credentials. Mm-hmm. But the Methodists took him as a kind of a lay pastor. And for most of his career that's what he did he was a preacher in small rural towns uh, along the southern border and over near the near, near Iowa. yeah the, the, that southern border and he, he 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 loved doing that
0: but that sounds like a big wealth generator oh
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, we we doing never, that yeah we, we never had anything, and nobody needed anything. We were just
0: you're growing up in a small town. Yep. You, we uh, had
2: a we had a they call it a parsonage, which is a house provided by the church for the minister, uh, which was not exactly ready for habitation, <laughs> but we so we lived there, and um, I used to be the janitor for the church and then then i would go to school and I, we had a football and a basketball team You're crazy legs right? yeah and we had a track team and we had we there wasn't much but we thought we were pretty good
0: uh let's see other ways in which you're opposite you went to law school
2: i'm always glad that i became a lawyer i mean most people have uh negative feelings about wa- lawyers and and uh, they're not all perfect but this allowed me to be a public servant and begin with our commitment to the law, to the Constitution. And all through my public life, that was sort of where I'd start things. And that's, that's one of the things that really offends me about the current president. He, I don't think he knows a thing about it and wants to know a thing about it. Uh, and yet the law, the Constitution lays down the guidelines for our essential behavior as citizens. Wait a minute. Is
0: that what it is? Yes. (laughs) That's that's what it is. Oh, shoot. I've
2: been... Oh,
0: (laughs) man, I wish I knew that when I was in the Senate. Yeah, you should have
2: been thinking about that. Yeah. Well, didn't didn't you find that the law and the Constitution are very important to your service in the Senate?
0: I did, and I was on... Judiciary, yep. on the Judiciary Committee. Yep. I was one of the yep. few non-lawyers there. Yep. But um, I felt that I uh, I had some skills that some of my colleagues didn't have.
2: Yeah, and you had some guts.
0: That was um, one of the skills. Yeah, <laughs> but, but
2: I think that in order to be a good public servant, you have to have a good mind, you have to think things through. And then you have to have courage, you have to stand up and... Um, Confront find issues. That's what you, you, you did. You
0: know what you have to do, too? You find issues. Yeah. And I found issues like mandatory arbitration. Yeah. That was a battle at, against large corporations. And yeah. I, I did that in terms of uh, consolidation of media. Yeah. And the, those are some of the fights I picked. But one thing I did was I would meet with my judiciary counsel, if there was a hearing the next day, at the end of the day, before I went home, and they would give me the briefing book. Did you get your binders at the end of the day for I hearings? I don't think
2: we had those. We had some briefing papers, but I don't remember. I used to get the testimony. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm sure they do. That's what you do. You yeah. get a binder with the testimony. Yeah, The witnesses are required or told, some don't do this, to have their testimony in so that we can re- take it home and read it. right? And then I would, they, my staff will have read it, my judiciary staff, and they will tell me what I'm going to read and they will tell me, they will have fashioned questions and I'll ask questions about the questions, but I hadn't read the testimony yet. Then I'd go home and I'd read the binder and then I'd call them like at 10 p.m. and I'd say, what if we did this or this or this? And let's rewrite this this way or let's, you know, I noticed something. I noticed something here. In a footnote, this guy says that some study said that heterosexual married couples do better uh, than same-sex couples when it comes to their children's performance in school or something like that. And it cites a study. And... So can we look at that? And then they would look at it, and it wouldn't say what the guy said it said. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yep. laughs> and I could bring it there up, and, there you, and there you go. And so you, you do the work. Yeah, That's what we're saying, and right?
2: Because, because you want to. You get into issues. You told that story about uh, the footnote. There was something he said that you thought was wrong, and you want to correct it, and you want to be uh, make that a public point in the following day. Yep, and that's uh, that's that's what I. <laughs> and that's an do. opportunity. Yeah, you get into things you feel deeply about, and you go for it. Yep.
0: Yeah, and I miss that. I miss that. Oh yeah, man, I do. You know, I think there actually also is uh, on judiciary, especially. I felt it. But in other committees too, is having been a performer
2: mm-hmm. helps. Yep,
0: yep. I mean, I would send my colleagues. Well, one colleague in uh, particular on judiciary questions for Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. And question, you know, and questions for Barr.
2: He's a beauty. Unbelievable. Yep. Yep. Where'd they find him?
0: that he had been attorney general before, and he was some corporate, you know. He Mm -hmm. was making a lot of money, and now he wanted to come in. And Basically, that hearing should have been about the things he said before the report came out. Yeah. And the things he said before the report came out were just lies. And he knew that the American people, no one is going to read a 450-page report. They're just not. So he goes there and said, it concluded that the president cooperated with with the investigation. So I just, you know, I like wrote my colleague, I I said, just say, just say, okay, he fired (laughs) the first head of the investigation. Right. He then ordered his legal counsel to order the deputy attorney general to fire you. Mm -hmm. This is in testimony to to talking to Mueller. Right. And then he ordered his legal counsel to write a memo saying that he hadn't told him to to do (laughs) that. And he kept directing uh, Sessions to fire Mueller. Yeah. And he wouldn't submit to interviews. Yeah. The point is, I would have asked... Sure. Uh, I would have said the people of Minnesota don't consider firing the first head of the investigation, <laughs> ordering your uh, subordinates to f- fire the next head of the investigation to be cooperating.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, this, is, this is frustrating. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I, you're going to find a way of doing it, I think. Yeah.
0: There's a phrase called the wit of the staircase, and it's French. And I don't speak French. And I suffer from it all the time. I went, ah, damn, I wish I had said this in the hearing or something. Did you have any of those in your career?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of times you don't have time to, other people are speaking. You can't get in there. Sometimes, uh, You've already made another point and, and it's not appropriate for you to try to hog the stage. Um, yeah, you often get in a position where you haven't quite done all you wanted to do. On or issue.
0: you just don't think of the thing that yeah, later you think of. That's right. That's all. That's right. That's all we're talking about.
2: Yeah. I remember
0: the first debate against Reagan, uh, your first debate against Reagan yeah. in... 84, he started to kind of talk about driving up the Pacific Coast Highway, <laughs> and it kind of wandered nowhere. What was the question? Do you remember at all?
2: Well, he he brought it up. Oh, so he set himself up. This was a standard speech he gave about what should be important to America or to California— and what he wanted to put in the memory files. Like a time capsule? Time capsule. That was it. So 100 years from now, this would be him talking to the... uh, So this was the standard speech he had. Yes.
0: Which is, I'm driving down the Pacific. Yeah, then he he
2: got in the middle of it and couldn't remember. Afterwards, one of the reporters on the panel said, you know, you made a bad mistake here. He said when... when, um, Reagan's time was up. You should have said, "No, I'm interested in this," and I and I, 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 <laughs> I, I saved my time to the president because he said he, he didn't know where,
0: where he was. Yeah. Now did, did that did that guy tell you that immediately after? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then he starts the next debate with, "I'm not going to hold your youth and inexperience."
2: Yeah, that's, right. that's
0: right. And have you ever thought about that moment?
2: Yes. I think about it all the time. Okay, that's what I... I, Because I thought it was ridiculous because I was 55. I wasn't a baby. And he was, what, 70 or something like that. uh, And I hadn't raised a point. So I I didn't uh, give it the seriousness that... uh, well, everyone
0: to, to, was wondering after that moment in the first debate yeah, whether he was losing Was losing, it. Was losing it. That's right. So, this so they, was they, had, was, they had
2: to find some way of uh, getting back on the program. Of and defusing this was it. that. Yeah. And it was a clever thing, and he handled it very well. But I didn't recognize how important that was going to be in the rest of the campaign because this, this kind of told the public that yes... The president was uh, with it. He, he knew what he was doing. And he that, could deliver a line that someone yeah, had written it, that's for a, him. This was a sense of humor he used and that he took me out on that issue. Uh, I don't think any of that was true, but that's the way it was taken. The, he was, the, at that point, the oldest president in American history, I believe.
0: And obviously he was beginning, I think.
2: I th- I think that um, there was something going on there. I never said that in the campaign because I didn't know and I couldn't prove it. And, but I, I think he was starting to slip.
0: Let's uh, talk about losing or suffering a setback.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, something I'm kind of sensitive yeah, to myself. You're, ex- you're
2: going to be an expert on this. Well...
0: Uh, and and resilience and the bastard came to Minnesota and tried to yeah, win yeah. Minnesota too.
2: Well, that's legal. It, it's legal, uh, but you know, you think well. He, by then, he knew he had destroyed me, and uh, he was going to win big. And of course, he did. Uh, what what hurt? I guess after the campaign, I would I would sit there and try to figure out what happened. Why couldn't I have thought these things through? Why why did I get so tired when uh, when these things came up? And and I found that I, would, I couldn't sleep at night, so I just had a bunch of books next to my bed, and I'd read for three hours or four hours and go take a nap and wake up at four in the morning and start reading again. And for the better part of a month, Uh, that's the life I lived. I just couldn't...
0: Just a month. I I just couldn't get... Just a month.
2: Well, it was longer than a month, but the full night deal was was Mm -hmm. a month, and I would say for a couple months after that, I was sleeping a little bit better, but still uh, less than a full night. And boy, did I get tired and uh, disoriented. And then slowly, I started feeling better, starting to get better sleep and i I went back uh to get involved in politics in my own way. I made arrangements to come home, which is what I always wanted to do and um so on
0: and then of course, ambassador to Japan.
2: How long were you in Japan? Just under four years. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, Joan loved it. Joan
0: pretty much overshadowed you in Japan. Uh, didn't well, she? a lot, a a lot of a
2: lot of people are saying that. today. she was uh, beloved. Yeah, no one and no one said that about me. And I remember we had our farewell reception. About six hundred people there, and, and uh, at least four hundred, maybe five hundred, were there to say goodbye to Joan. <laughs> and the, my staff was there to say goodbye to me.
0: Well, and people should understand, listeners should understand, Joan was about the arts.
2: Yes, and, and she she loved to pot, and the Japanese loved pottery. And wherever she'd go, if they wanted to, she'd sit down and throw pots with them. And they loved that. I mean, that's still hear about that. And she always hands out a little piece of pottery as a gift. She never sold anything. And the, there's a little thing called a guanomi that she would do. And she'd hand it. People love it. I'll bet you. On uh, shelves all over Japan, there's little guanomies.
0: Now, what, what does a guanomi hold?
2: A, it, it holds maybe some salt or some pepper. It's not very, it's not very deep. Okay. And, and but it, this, it's, this,
0: by the way, is an audio medium. So when you go, this is it's just like this.
2: Yes, it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> Can they see it better now?
0: Yeah, he, he held it closer <laughs> to the mic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's a small thing.
2: You said in the notes that you'd like to talk about Minnesota. You yeah. Know, what a good state it is. Um, one of the things that's slowly dawning on me as I get into these old years is is indeed what a wonderful state it is. I mean, a lot of nice people here. People are trying to make things work. There's a decency to Minnesota life. Uh, When we have an election, more people vote in Minnesota than Mm -hmm. any other state in the union. Uh, We take our politics seriously. Um, We have... Good office holders, you were an excellent example. Uh, Thank you. Uh, this this uh, governor, Tim Walls, and the people in mm-hmm. the state, they're wonderful people. Uh, all across the board we see that. And I just think Minnesotans should feel good about that and build on it and continue to try to be the wonderful state that we hope it is. I don't think I can claim to be an expert on much, but I'm an expert on Minnesota. I've been yep. everywhere all the time for all those years in Washington, here and here, wherever. Uh, and I've come to really love this state. And I, I like being around it and I like talking to Minnesotans. I love it
0: too. And yeah. Minnesotans, For the, the, there's a lot of things that you talked about, including just the the involvement in voting. Really? People yeah. care. There's a thing called Minnesota nice. Now sometimes, you know, that can be a little passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah, <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And yeah, you
2: know. Yeah. So yeah, you know. Well, you know but, we're not no, we we're, we're not saps. In other words, if something has to be said, we want to hear it.
0: But it, this is an unbelievably great place to yeah, live. Yeah. And we also have brought in Hmong refugees. Yep. And we've brought in Somali refugees. Right. And uh, they are adding so yeah. much to and our city. And we're state.
2: becoming somewhat different and better, I think, as a result.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I know you got to go. You got to do something. So, and you don't have to tell us what it is. I don't know.
2: I want to tell you what it is. Though. Okay. I have a what I call a Mondale lunch every week or every two weeks where I get as many of my kids and grandchildren who will come and we have a lunch and we talk about things or sometimes we talk about nothing. And it's the high point of my life because it's a way of staying close to my family. I love it. Well, I'm going
0: to keep you from that.
2: Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you,
0: Mr. Vice President. I just can't tell you how appreciative I am of your time and your friendship and your counsel and support you probably love this state because the state loves you
2: well I enjoyed working with you I I admire the depth and decency of your public service and uh, as I said to you a lot of time I hope we can find a way to continue that Um, you're needed here
0: well, okay, thank you. Pe- we'll cut that pe- out.
2: People want to no, leave it in there. People, <laughs> people want you. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll let you much. go. Thank you.
0: Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at com slash survey.
3: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV.